What do you call that noise? It's not fun and it's not fair. Round here, there's nothing you can win. Today, we're discussing failure and the great things that come out of it. I'm Mark Fisher. Welcome back to What Do You Call That Noise? The XDC podcast, brought to you by my two books, the XDC Bumper Book of Fun for Boys and Girls, which is down to the last 40 copies, so hurry, hurry, hurry. And What Do You Call That Noise? An XDC discovery book, which you can still buy by the box load. (laughs) Not that I'm saying it's a failure, it's just a couple of years behind the other one. (laughs) Both books are available at xdclimelight.com. The podcast is also brought to you, and actually really brought to you, by the amazing supporters on Patreon, some of whom I'll name check at the end of the episode. Please join them by going to patreon.com forward slash Mark Fisher, which will help me keep more XDC goodness coming your way. We're recording this episode on a particularly hot and sunny day, so it's all the more appropriate that our drink recommendation this time comes from Rachel Treffery, who is in a summery mood. What do you call that noise? Hi, my name's Rachel Treffery. Um, I like to pair Sangria with Summer's Cauldron. Skylarking, to me, just feels like such a summery album. It's so colorful and warm. And Summer's Cauldron specifically makes me want to just sit on my back porch and sip on a nice cold glass of sangria with summer fruits in it like lime, oranges, or pineapple. And you can almost smell the fragrance of the season when you're listening to that song or really anything on Skylarking. Um, It always reminded me of Sgt. Pepper in a way. I, I mean, I almost, I see it as somewhat of a theme album. It's just such a beautiful masterpiece. Thank you for that splendid pairing, Rachel. And I think the idea of smelling the fragrance of a song will be right up the street of today's guest, who is none other than Andy Partridge. Hello, Andy. It's great to see you. Um, s- smelling fragrances and um, on records is probably something that you've done all your life, isn't it? <laughs> well, if you could smell us in the studio, it's not always uh, meadow flowers and buttercups, you know. Yes, that, that's, uh, that, I've never thought of it that way around. Yes, some smells you don't want to get. <laughs> you get pretty sweaty doing a vocal. <laughs> We're here to mark the release of the first EP in Andy's My Failed Songwriting Career series, which is available at burningshed.com, which, of course, is fantastic. I've already been listening to it and not a failure at all. But it, it just occurs to me, Andy, that I've spent my life as, as, a, as a journalist um, and as well as a fanzine editor talking to people about their successes and how great the next thing they're, <laughs> they're doing. And this is the first time I've ever asked anybody about, tell me about your failures. Well, this is the whole thing, you see. This, this is a long response, so I'll, I'll give you the short version. Um, the reason it's called, and several people ask me, say, why, why are you calling it that? Why, why failure? Why failed songwriting? It's because this collection of EPs is going to be all of the songs. Uh, let me pedal back a bit. When XTC put itself in the fridge. We've never actually disbanded officially, but when XDC put itself in the, in the freezer, a bit like a, a certain prime minister, um, we put ourselves in the freezer and it was a case of, um, okay, well, what am I going to do now? Um, oh, I can write the odd song. I know, why don't I write for others? So my publishing company put the word around and he was willing to write for your artists. So, um, 
I got um, managers, record labels, the artists themselves, publishers, all getting in contact with me saying, would you write a song for my artist? And as you know, they do this kind of music. And they've asked, could you write them a song that sounds a bit like McCartney or a song that's a bit like a, a, a very commercial punk rock thing or a bit like, you know, whatever the request was. And uh, I try and do my darndest to then write song or usually songs in that vein. And for every 10 songs you write, they might, if you're lucky, cover one. So you've got nine more that you didn't think were rubbish or else you would never would have brought them up. Um, and, and this went on over the years. And so, I, you know, out of every 10 songs, it'd be nine I thought were pretty decent. So I've actually got rather a lot of songs that I think are pretty decent. And um, it, it, it's a case of, well, why the hell are they rotting on, on the computer? Why not let people hear these failures? Um, because they were, you know, nicely rejected because for whatever reason, the artist didn't like the song or the album got cancelled or they, instead of an album of new material, they decided to do an album of covers or whatever the reason. And, and privately, I could tell you some of the reasons. I'm not going to say them publicly, but privately, some of them are outrageous uh, why the records didn't get done. Um, I've just put it down in the sleeve notes to politics, <laughs> to be polite. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yes, yeah, so it's a collection, an ongoing collection. They're basically the tarted up demos, but they sound pretty decent. Um, I think you'd agree. They definitely sound, de they sound more than decent. They sound, and they don't, and they sound like considerably more than failures as well. That's another thing well, to be said. Yeah, you know, but not to their taste. Yeah, yeah, know. yeah. But I'm I'm also wondering, like you know, when you were in XTC, you've you've you and and Colin have often said, oh yeah, I really like this song, and I took it, took it to the other band members, and they rejected it because they didn't think it was up to scratch or whatever. Are are, are some of your failed songs in that category that they just weren't up to up to it? In the the, the material that's going to be released, I think all of the songs were written for others, apart from a few which were intended for XTC um, and then XTC put itself in the freezer before we could do anything with this or, or those songs. So some of them mixed in with the, um, with the pick and mix uh, will have been sweeties intended for XTC. Mm -hmm. yeah. Actually sort of XTC rejects then in that sense. No, because they weren't brought up because XTC had folded yeah, by the time yeah. that they were written. Yeah, if you yeah, see what I mean. yeah, yeah. They were written and like, oh, great, when we do the next album, I'll I'll bring this one up. Or when we do the, the next album, I'll finish these lyrics up and, you know, this will be great. Yeah, yeah. So, um, what I was thinking of was that um, some song, sometimes with XTC, you'd have a song that the others just didn't rate very highly. Um, oh sure, and I, I wondered, in, 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 as a jobbing songwriter, you must also be very um, paranoid or sensitive, or, or yet maybe you just have to be very thick-skinned because sometimes someone just won't rate the song very highly. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a lot of talk, uh, certainly on the net, and that served me right for going and reading it. Um, 
that people, oh, Andy would rule, he was a complete fascist, would rule the band with an iron fist and what he said, and he prevented Collins' songs from doing this and he prevented this, that and the other. No, XTC was very diplomatic. Um, diplomatic? Democratic. That's the word. I knew it began with D. Disastrous. That's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> um, uh, a very democratic, and, and all the songs would be brought up and either rehearsed to, uh, to studio standard or even recorded um and then to be honest the band would then vote on which songs they thought came out the best and then the record company had won a big say in it and the producer had won a big say in it as well so you know if a song didn't get picked for an album it was usually because one of these parties thought it wasn't quite right at the time uh, and yet, you, you have fancies at the time. I mean, things like um, things like "Blame the Weather" and "Tissue Tigers" maybe should have gone on English Settlement, and maybe "Leisure" and oh, what's another? Maybe "Down in the Cockpit." I don't know. Uh, but at the time, you know, you think those are stronger songs. But in retrospect, tastes change, and you think, well, you know, maybe "Blame the Weather" and "Tissue Tigers" are better songs. So. A lot of it is heat at the moment, but I can assure people it was always democratic. Yeah. yeah. And um, the the band would never pick the singles. They were always picked by the record label. Uh, yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, because often that's another thing that fans comment on is, well, you know, why didn't they release da 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 yeah, as, exactly. a, as a yeah. single? You know, I, I, I think the record company may, or Virgin in this case, uh, mostly Virgin, um, made some made some errors. Um I don't think Meeting Place was a strong single, but I do think that Earn Enough for Us would have been one. Mm. And why they refused to release that as a single is, you know, but I think there are a few cases of, of that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The, whole, the whole democratic thing, we all would pick. Yeah, yeah. And so when you're then writing for other people, do you, do you take it personally if you get rejected? Well, when, they don't, when they don't like it? Yeah. Um, no, because there's an element of the mercenary. You try and do as good a job as possible. Um, and like, for example, the, the second song on EP number one is called uh, Great Day. It's a great day for loving you. the management of this artist said, would you uh, write a song that sounds like McCartney? Um, and so, you know, I thought, okay, I'll put my Macca hat on. And so we have Banana Fingers piano, <clears throat> most mostly major chords, uh, rather uplifting, easily sing-alongable type chorus, um, keep it light. Um, and uh, I thought, hey, do you know what? this?" came out as a really good example of, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of Brainiac's daughter. <laughs> and they still didn't like it. So uh, frustration. And, it's, and I have to say, it is a lovely, lovely, lovely song. And I thought of McCartney as well when I heard it. Yeah, well, that was the brief, you mm-hmm. see. That was the brief was, can you write, can you write a McCartney song? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can do that kind of thing. So, so when they reject, and so my question was, do you feel sensitive about being rejected? And, and you, but you're saying you don't. No, you just have to get on with it. And then 
I think what happens, uh, and there's a, there's a, a number on EP number two. Um, what happens is if you really have faith in the song, and you should do, or else it's what are you doing bringing it up in the first place? What happens is if it gets rejected by artist number one, you then offer it to artist number two or three or four or five or, you know, as, as many as it takes. And if they all reject it, you think, is it me? Um, uh, but uh, the, the song I was referring to on EP number two um, is called uh, Let's Make Everything Love. Let's make everything love, L-O-V-E, love. Let's make your buttons ping, let's make my mattress spring, let's make everything love. Let's make an angel I I wrote this. I'm trying to think if I wrote it for anyone specifically or whether I just wrote it because I wanted to write a kind of um, songs for swinging lovers meets Mac the Knife meets, I don't know, that, that late 50s kind of sassy jazz lyric thing. And I offered it to every male, uh, and I think one female, but every male modern jazz singer out there, and they all turned it down. And uh, am I am I deaf? Is it crap? No, it's not. It's just maybe it's just really out of time or something. Is that because I've been playing a guessing game of trying to work out who these songs were written for? And I was, you know, I, I'm, I can't tell you. <laughs> you've got to be very. I, I I can say what I like though, can't I? But because I was listening, you can, say, you can say who you fancy, but I won't deny. What <laughs> Because that one, I was thinking, yeah, as you say, it was sort of jazz. I was thinking, is it is it Jamie Callum? Is it one of these? You know, so, and and um, it's uh, been offered to that particular song, probably a half a dozen or more uh, modern jazz singers, and they still haven't made the right decision. It's outrageous. I can't, <laughs> I can't think their thoughts for them. You know, <laughs> but it's uh, it's good fun to do. Uh, a little frustrating sometimes when songs you think. This is a really good song, and da 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 is bound to to cover this, and da 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 doesn't cover it. Um, it's it's frustrating, uh, but uh, you know, they're all the better of the songs are going to be coming out. So. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I'm intrigued by what you just said about you having to do a good job because the. the it, in my head, I can imagine if you were a jobbing songwriter, you could think, oh, I'll just give them any old rubbish and they'll like it because I don't have to care about it in the way that you would care about something that you called your, your own. But actually listening to these songs, you, you've clearly cared about them. You've put a lot of uh, detail into them. I would be completely happy for any of these songs to have had either at the XTC name on or, or I am happy that they, they have my name on. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. You know, I wouldn't offer up a bit of crap to somebody uh a lot of the songs on fuzzy warbles are just sketches and bits of fun and try out things which led on to other things you know like the what's that the little instrumental called um miller time i mean that that led on to the end section of hold me by daddy Mm -hmm. I would never have come up with that unless i'd sketched out the whole the feeling of the, the miller time demo so they they were all of use in some way, you know, but they're not all equally as important. Mm -hmm. But with these, uh, the My Failed Songwriting Career songs, and there's also going to be My Failed Christmas Career, 
my failed rock and roll career, um, and a, possibly a couple of others as well. <laughs> so it, actually, I should just ask you that as a technical thing. I've j- just five minutes before we started recording this podcast, I got a message from Burning Shed to say, I think because of vinyl shortages, there's going to be a little bit of a delay before the release of the first EP in August. Do you have a sense of when the second EP will come out? Other things being equal. No, they were all they were all supposed to come out, or the first two rather were supposed to come out in the spring and then summer of this year. But COVID, which has cut down workers at what remaining few remaining uh, vinyl plants there are left. I mean, the story is uh, because CD was going to be the future and vinyl just was killed off. You know, factories pressing vinyl were broken up, disbanded, pulled down, changed. And that was it. Vinyl's the past, CD is the future. Now it looks very much like CD is the past and vinyl is selling on something like 12% a year, more each year. Uh, And so the queues at the few remaining vinyl factories are insane. And we hear on the grapevine that major labels are offering these vinyl factories little (coughs) incentives to press their discs on their labels first. So the smaller people in the world get pushed to the back of the queue. I'm sorry it's been delayed, but they, um, you know, all of the volumes will will try and get them out in good time. Mm -hmm. Um, I usually prepare two ahead. Uh, the, all these things are recorded. Uh, they're just not necessarily mixed to to a decent enough standard because a lot of them are the demos that were banged down quickly. And instead of Andy's ropey guitar, Andy ought to play the guitar properly <laughs> or sing in tune more or whatever it is, you know. And uh, But I'm, I'm trying to get them out or get them all prepared two volumes ahead. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. one and two are ready to go. Uh, the first of the Christmas ones, which I think we're going to miss this year because of the queues at Vinyl Factories, the first of the Christmas ones is nearly ready to go. Mm. But uh, So that's a kind of a, a peak at the future. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And on the Burning Shed description of the first EP, it uses the word andified. Is that, is that what you mean by andifying? The, um, d- d- yeah, I mean, if, if an, another artist is on the track, say, for example, some playing if they if they're playing and they're happy with it i'll credit them um or if they're singing i've told them i i've removed your vocal i've changed the lyrics to how i'm more happy with them so it's um and if i feel that somebody's made quite a major contribution to a track i'll i'll split the publishing with them and and, uh, and credit them. yeah so so some of these songs are co-writes as well as individual some, some of yeah. them will be yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Or, or if not co-writes then the other person if they've had a very significant input in whatever it is uh that will be credited and shared yeah know. yeah i'm just thinking is is there an equivalent of you know if you if you're selling a house they'll tell you to to paint all the walls white and put as as little amount of furniture as possible in it to make it people's imagination work as they project onto it uh, these songs all definitely have their own characters but is there a sense when you've given somebody a demo that maybe you pull back a little bit on on the stuff that you might have put in it if it was your own record yeah i i think if it was for xtc or if it was for me as a solo artist 
I may have written some of the lyrics differently, but the thing is I'm donning fancy dress to a certain mm. extent, to a certain extent. Yeah. You know, if if artist A wants a song like that's like Paul McCartney, I have to don the Paul McCartney outfit. And it's it's no good donning the totally andy outfit. Mm-hmm. I have to think how would they have done it. Do you find that a creative process? Yeah, very actually. Yeah. Because I can imagine being just given a, in fact it's what I do as a journalist I get given a brief I have to do it and there's a deadline and you have to just have to do it you, oh deadlines are brilliant you can't, you can't go around saying oh I'm an artist I've got to wait for the muse to strike you've just got to do it and uh, got to do it yeah, yeah. And so, but if I'm excited for a project I can I can get um, how shall I say I can get much more into the project very quickly and I mean say for example with um, the James and the Giant Peach tracks I thought, wow, I'm going to be on a Disney film. This is for perpetuity. You know, wow, great. So I got really excited and started listening to a lot of old Disney numbers, you know, the stuff I really liked, like, you know, oh, my goodness, there's so many of them, you know, zippity Doodah or Wishing on, you know, uh, When You Wish Upon a Star, you know, all the, the really great Disney songs. And I thought, I'm going to try and enter this company, you know, try and enter the company of the great songwriters. Um, and uh, I, I wrote something like four songs in less than a week because I was just so into it. I was just so excited. Um, the fact that I couldn't work out the business side of things with Disney is neither here nor there. I think they wanted them for a pittance and forever. Uh, and it was like, mm, no, I've, I've been burned like that too much in the past. You know? Yeah, yeah. But if I'm in, really into a project, I can I can get into it pretty damn quick. Yeah, yeah. And I'm wondering uh, if, if if you're trying to write a song that's about you and about your own expression, then you you work hard at doing that. But I'm wondering if you're not trying to do that, if you're trying to write for somebody else and imagine what some other person might be thinking, whether you you then look back at the lyrics and think, oh, actually that was about me. Whether whether you see things in yourself accidentally. Absolutely. And I'm still um, equally as proud of a lot of the, the melodies or the lyrics. I mean, take the lyrics of um, Made of Stars. Made of stars, made of light, made of stars, will base to I guess you'd call it a, a ballad um, on, on volume one. And um, I'm really proud of those lyrics. They really hit what I wanted to say. I was trying to describe uh, <clears throat> the idea of like a medieval maiden bathing with her attendants. And she's bathing in, um, in milk. And where the milk is spilling out of the tub, it's forming the stars. So she is the, the metaphor for the creator of the universe where she spills the milk when she's bathing. Um, and I think I succeeded pretty damn good. Um, the fact that the artist didn't go for the song when it was finished 
bah, you know. And I can't, I can't tell you why without revealing who it was and the ludicrousness of the situation. It, 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 it strikes me that if, if Judy Sill was alive, it would have been written for Judy Sill, but it's, it could have come straight off Apple Venus. It's such a gorgeous, it's like Knights in Shining Karma or something. It, and it's, I totally see what you mean. Yeah, I mean, it feels like, feels very, very you. Yeah, I, I, it's one of the ones that I felt I inhabited a lot more. And uh, I still tried to write in the style of what this person would do and the theme that this person had asked for which was stars and space. Um, that was literally the brief, stars and space. Okay. Um, and so, I, as I say, I came up with this idea of a medieval maiden bathing and creating the universe with the spilled milk, you know. Um, so, yeah, I'm real proud of that one. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's reminding me of like a, 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 something you might get given at primary school or secondary school. Right, children, you've got to go and write an essay, an English essay about stars and space, please. Um, <laughs> twinkle, twinkle. <laughs> yeah, poem. You'd have to write a poem about stars and space, wouldn't you? Uh, should we talk about some of the others? Uh, the, the EP starts with Ghost Train, which uh, has a little bit of rockabilly guitar on it, I think. Yeah, yeah. That, um, that was... Uh, um... I can't rem quite remember what the brief was. It was something like quite fast, quite punky, uh, with that that sort of essence of rockabilly, rockabilly rock and roll. And um, I came up with the riff first of all. The da 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 bam 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 da 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 bam bam. Uh, uh, and then there are little sort of rockabilly bits thrown over the top. And because it's Ghost Train, the solo is the um, uh, I can't think what that piece of music's called. The bum 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 bum, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of spooky music. Uh, so the solo, the tremolo guitar solo, is based around that. Um, but it ended up as a metaphor for literally me getting off the council estate I lived on. Oh, I didn't, I didn't read that into it. Yeah, yeah. you know, here it's it's not fun and it's not fair, mm -hmm. uh, and it wasn't. Uh, and it, I wanted to escape all that tatten tin, which, which you know, could be corrugated metal roofs on kitchen extensions, or uh, you know, a, um, a ghost train banged up in a in a fun fair somewhere. Um, you know, you're you're feeling trapped in this comedy horrific place, and I just want to get out. Nothing's going to happen if I'm caught here. Like nothing's going to happen if I'm trapped in this ghost train. You know. That's interesting. I'm just thinking, with the possible exception of Newtown Animal, you haven't really written about that subject, so particularly because you did stay in Swindon, but you did get off the Penhill estate. The funfair thing has cropped up so much. I mean, oh, funfairs have, yeah, yeah. Bumper cars is is mm. all those lyrics are are all the the funfair metaphor for me working in a paint shop, really. Mm -hmm. um, to me, it all means something personal you know yeah 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 it's 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 people i knew working in this paint store and the, the people i would have to experience working there and the bosses and their family and the stuff i knew and stuff i did and so it's it's it all means something to me if you know, this gibberish means, <laughs> means something to me um but, but the fun fair and the circus are huge metaphors that crop up over and over and over again for me 
Yeah, and I was thinking about the business of metaphor is that you're very, very good in not just these songs, but other, everything you've done uh, of being consistent. When you start a metaphor, you stick to it. You 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 work it for all it's worth. I ring out every little bit <laughs> from that metaphor. But you, and you don't mix your metaphors. You're you're quite you're you're good at that. You're you're not you're not mixing. I don't know funfair imagery with with seaside imagery. It's one or the other. Well, uh, sometimes you get the two together, uh, depending on how close they are. Yeah. Yeah, literally every year we'd go on a holiday to Weymouth. And 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 in my mind, because uh, there was a huge fun fair in Weymouth, um, I can't I I think I could describe it if I had a map, but it was on the north of Weymouth with a like a lake around it. Um in my head, uh fun fairs smell of the seaside. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, it scrambled imagery, you know, and you got to go to the fun fair on special occasions. Uh, either in Swindon when you were not on holiday as such, or if you were on one week's holiday in Weymouth, uh, you could go to the fun fair that was in situ there permanently. You know? Yeah. So in my head, uh, funnily enough, the seaside is garbled with fun fair. Yeah, and see, see, seagulls screaming has got the sort of fairground organ sound that's that, that, that's yeah, giving it yeah. quality. It's yeah, it's sort of calliope type thing. Yeah, it's actually a mellotron standard setting but i can't remember what it's called it's called something like uh combined brass or or mixed brass or something like that mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah but as, as soon as as soon as you sit and sort of make this kind of foo, 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 you think whoa i am really in i'm at the seaside at the end of the pier or i'm i'm uh, in the fun fair uh, in the island to the north you know <laughs> But I suppose what I'm saying is that a lazier songwriter would, you know, abandon the metaphor after the first verse, and they'd come up with another metaphor in the second verse, and then neither in yeah. the third verse. Oh, you don't. Oh, you don't want to garble your metaphors, missing. <laughs> Very painful. <laughs> and do uh, do you get uh, or have you got feedback from people you've written songs for, even if they don't actually end up recording them? In terms of, uh, are they pleased with the standard of the quality of the stuff that you're offering? Yeah, sometimes the artist wants to do them, but the management or the record label or the publisher say no, they're not doing this song. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. not what we want. Um, or the other way around, where the artist might not like it, when the manager does, yeah, or yeah. any combination of all those. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's also reminding me of the number of what we now regard as classic songs from the 50s and 60s and stuff that, uh, the, you know, the Shirelles will have turned down, but Diana Ross will have picked up or whatever, the other way around, you know, the, these sure, major songs sure. that several people have rejected on the way. Sure. I mean, what would be a kind of weird reverse dream come true would be if uh, some people were to hear these songs that would then go on and actually cover them and make a hit out of them. You know, that would be nice. Yeah, and so, and they're hit worthy to my mind. Um, oh, thank you. <laughs> I'll I'll cover it right now. <laughs> the ingot is in the post. <laughs> um, where we haven't spoken about the mating dance now, which has a sort of pagan stomp to it. I thought. Mating dance, the mating dance. You're gonna have to learn to do the mating dance with your perfume put to put them in a trance. You're gonna have to. Learn yeah, it's just somewhere between. Um, you know, I, I, as I was kind of putting the groove to that together, I thought, oh, shit, this is, uh, what's the, the same groove as this? It's um, We Will Rock You by Queen. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. Boom, boom, ka, boom, boom, ka thing. Uh, but I thought, I'm sure they didn't come up with that originally. So I'm, I'm going to, it's just a rhythm. 
they can't touch you for having a rhythm, you know. Um, but it's it's yeah, it's the the, the whole basis of it is um, it, it, it's the reason your DNA is clumped together here doing its thing is to do the mating dance, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Um, the, it all boils down to the one one couplet in the song. Um, um, if you want to get inside their pants, you're going to have to learn to do the mating dance. And um, a certain individual representing this artist said, this, this lyric is ludicrous. My artist cannot do this, this lyric. It's absolutely ludicrous. And I thought, well, I can't change it because that's the whole backbone, the whole vertebrae of the meaning of the whole song. You know, this, this ludicrous behavior you go through, the, the outfits you wear, the perfume you don, the behavior, it, it's all to get inside their pants. <laughs> but they found that line somehow offensive or... You can't mention pants. Just can't, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I should have called it mating wowsers. <laughs> well, you have to remember, you began your career by being banned off uh, by BBC for singing Sail Beneath Her Skirt on Statue yeah, of Liberty. I, so we can't play Statue of Liberty, so let's put on Walk on the Wild <laughs> Fools, 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 fools. <laughs> but that what you're saying reminds me of of a thing I probably said to you before or speculated to you before about the way that your songs seem to be completely um at one with themselves in the sense that you can't just change the lyrics because the the the, the meaning is also in the music itself. It's it's it, the the sound yeah. of it sounds like the, the the words and it's exactly well that to me that is how you write songs. You uh you find a chord or a couple of chords and the sound of those describing the sound to yourself frequently makes the lyric mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know it, it, like with the, the the keyboard for for um seagull screaming you know just sat there and it's like oh we're we're at the seaside we're at the end of the pier we're in the fun fair just back there a bit and suddenly bleh, it's all it's all falling out because you're describing to yourself what you're hearing uh, either well with that case that was literally one chord and and the sound of it so to me, that is is how I'm frequently dropped up and picked up and, and dropped into a song is via the the chord sound or the the sound of the instrument or a little motif or something like that. And and that's the same when you're writing for other people as much as it is for writing for yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no difference. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, um, this is unfair for people listening, but should we talk about the second EP as well? You've already mentioned everything, love. Well, we could we could get them a bit wet around the groin. Yeah, well, they could get wet around <laughs> about. Um, well, it, it it opens, I believe, with seesaw. It begins with, which is another sort of not that dissimilar, I suppose, to to, to ghost train or maybe mating dances, upbeat rocker. It's an upbeat rocker. Um, I think I'm trying to remember what the, you know, the guide comment was. I think it was something like uh, this artist or their record label wanted something that sounded, that reminded them of the small faces. So the small faces always seem to have the chord of D in their music and it, it, what's known as sussing the D, which you da 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 da, 
Um, you will have heard it on on literally all the small faces numbers. And uh, David Bowie nabbed it for Ziggy Stardust. That's sussing the D. That da, 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 da. It's, it's causing it to be a suspended and then back to a natural. I, that's, that's the complete far limit of my musical knowledge. Uh, uh, we're talking about small faces as an inspiration. Uh, it's got to have sussing the D. And... Um, I, I, I found a little uh, drum loop and was programming some drums, and I thought, well, this is kind of like rocking backwards and forwards, and it's like you're on a seesaw, whoa, away we go. So the, in that case, the motion, of the, the motion of the drum rhythm suggested a seesaw, and that's where the song fell out. Mm. Um, but it's not a million miles away. I, I think of it as quite a close cousin musically and lyrically, maybe to Playground on Wasp Star. Um, but, you know, Apple doesn't fall far from the tree. What are you going to do? <laughs> I'm now thinking, yes, because Colin had English Roundabout, you've got Playground, you've got Seesaw. I'm trying to think of Slide is, the, <laughs> is about the only thing. Oh, climbing, I, I, climb, climbing Frame is the only thing left. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, really naff. <laughs> climbing, climbing Frame, oh, Climbing Frame. <laughs> write it down oh, I tell you, you used to you used to do a hell of a lot of socializing in playgrounds and stuff when i was a kid and when i was a teenager you know all your flirting and and uh and sometimes more intimate behavior went on you know at the recreational ground the rec so. Yeah, well, actually, you're talking talking about intimate behaviour. It I, might just be coincidence with these songs, but the sex fi- fi- figures quite a lot. And I wondered whether, uh, maybe not just sex, but also just romantic relationships, if you're writing for other people, are you more inclined to write uh, a, a, a more straightforward love song than, I don't know, Melt the Guns or Living Through Another Cuba? Uh, the answer to that, really, Mark, is, is no. Um, and it, it may be the reason why they've been rejected. Um, perhaps if I could think more banal and think more just straighter and uh, oh, what, what's expected? Well, it'll have to be a love song and it'll have to have these words in it and this couplet. And, uh, but I, I basically, it all boils down to I'm probably the very last person you should ask to write something. <laughs> yes. Why did or, you get this job in the first place? Yeah, exactly. Well, it is my failed. <laughs> yes, that could be the reason. <laughs> no, I um, I probably don't write generic enough. But then I've got to listen to this shit. I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to keep churning porridge. Out. I want I want something a bit chewier and a bit more interesting, nicer flavour, more exotic. And I'm just thinking that the, in the last podcast uh, Colin Moulding was the guest and he attributed to you something to, that you said to him which was that you should always turn your editor off that you should allow yes. your creative juices to flow yes you, did he say that he said that and he's because I was because I think it's truth but the two of you is that it, it, I, what I said to Colin was it's like he never read the rock and roll rule book so he thought you know the rock and roll rule book says that you should write love me do and he wrote a song about a roundabout or a song about his parents yeah. wanting a bungalow or whatever those are not things you're meant to do and yeah. they're all the better for it yeah I think so I think ultimately Sure, you can look at the the rules of songwriting. It's nice to bend them. It's nice to break them. Um, 
it's also nice to follow them occasionally. You know, I have great respect for what you would call standard songs, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the great standards. Uh, there is a reason why they are known as the great standards. It's like the old masters. There's a reason why this, you know, this Van Gogh painting or this, this was he an old master? He's a medium age master, isn't he? But, you know, so the, the, the Rubens and the, uh, the Michelangelo's and that sort of thing, you know, there is a reason why they're held in high regard. And, and it's the same with the songs. Um, but it doesn't mean to say that you can't learn new things by, by bending and twisting and, and uh, defying. Yeah, and do you think that because so much of your recent failed career has been writing songs for other people, have you has your admiration grown for the the Cole Porters and the and and the uh, the Gershwins, you know, and all of these people who are writing yeah, on Tim Alley and so on? I think so. I always had a healthy respect for them. Um, I mean, my favourite songwriters are probably more from the sixties, seventies pop. Idiom, you know, the uh, Ray Davis, Lennon McCartney, Bacharach and David, Brian Wilson, um, those those sort of, for me, those are the, the biggest giants. But there are also many others I really like. Jimmy Webb, I like a lot of his stuff. Um, oh, my goodness. Uh, too many to mention. We'd be all day just listing them through, you know. But, uh, yeah, I, I do have a, a hell of a lot of respect for those people. Um, uh, but probably somebody like Carol King could turn her hand towards writing something that could be translated in many different ways. But even she wasn't beyond um, not being happy with what people did with her songs. I think she was very upset by what the monkeys, bless them, uh, did to Pleasant Valley Sunday. Um, they they beated it up and popped it up and... Uh, her version is much more stately. Actually, that reminds me of a question I was going to ask, which is when your songs have been covered by people, so the monkeys being an example, and then the, the recorded version comes back to you, what is your typical reaction to hear how somebody else has interpreted one of your songs? Well, the monkeys are a special case because they were one of the big influencers in my early wanting to have a pop career thing. I was just utterly, utterly delighted that they would ask me to write something. And then the fact that they went and recorded three of them, fantastic. You know, it's, it was like a childhood dream come true. It's a little Andy wins a tape recorder in Monkey's Monthly magazine or whatever the magazine was called. I think it was Monkey's Monthly. Somebody can correct me. Um, I mean, that was a dream come true. But the bigger dream come true was was being contacted by their manager, Andrew Sandoval. Sorry, the spaghetti bolognese is reoccurring. <laughs> um, luckily, luckily, un unlike the recording of, of Skylarking, we can't actually smell it across the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you don't get a deflame. <laughs> um, so where was I? Yes, it was just such a such a, such a delight to be asked to write for them. So I was like a little giggly schoolboy. You know when I heard what they'd done, so, because you're, you're, you're. In fact, uh, shall I say, in a forthcoming episode of the podcast, we'll we, we we talk about how exacting you are as a as, as a collaborator because you you listen very very carefully to to everything that that gets done, and uh, so so I can imagine you listening very very carefully and very and having very precise opinions about how somebody might have treated yeah. your work. In a, well, I mean, for for example, 
again with the monkeys i they they asked could it sound like their heyday in the late 60s and so i played an awful lot of monkeys from that you know it's like there's several things it's got to be twangy lead guitar lines it's got to be straight in with chorus or title line it's probably mid-tempo um it's it's positive you know it's it's there's not much moaning going on in monkeys um so it was just a delight to to put on that disguise outfit pretend i'm the fifth monkey (laughs) really really loved it yeah also you didn't mention pants you got away with that although actually (laughs) (laughs) yeah thank god they never did that one (laughs) although unwrap you at christmas is pretty racy isn't it well, actually, Unwrap You at Christmas was racy, but it wasn't written for the monkeys. No. Ah. It was written for a female singer who uh, the management or the label or whatever, I can't remember now, had requested um, something in a, a sort of Phil Spector Christmas vein. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought, okay, it's Phil Spector Christmas, so it's definitely got to be ba-bam, 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 you know, that kind of, that kind of rhythm. And uh, again, straight on commercial as hell. Uh, and on the demo, my daughter Holly is is singing the demo that was uh, that was sent to, sent to the female artist uh, who didn't like it. So fuck yeah. And uh, but the monkeys liked it. I sent I sent the monkeys I don't know six, seven, eight Christmas songs for the Christmas one they did, and they really liked. Uh, they really like that one. So mm-hmm, I thought, mm-hmm. okay, fine. I'm not going to say, no, don't do it. It was really <laughs> <you know>? <laughs> <laughs> uh, We haven't spoken about Come On Back, I don't think, which sounds like a boy band to me, but maybe you have a different perspective. That's on the second EP. You were the best girl that I ever had in my life. I was a It, uh, again, I can't tell you who it was written for, um, but it was the, the sort of brief was, a, I think, was a bit beetly. Um, and I think it was maybe err towards John and George or something. I'm trying to remember the, the brief. So if I'm being slightly John esque in the vocal. That's why. Uh, that's why um and these people still didn't like it so uh never mind you know but uh, i think it came out pretty damn good mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah there's nothing much more i can tell you about it it you know it's based on a mid-tempo acoustic guitar thing which you'll you'll get to hear it eventually and it's uh it's based on minors so it's got that lennony late lennon uh, a little bit of a little soup son of late Lennon poisoning, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then finally the f- the fourth song in the second EP is. And you were just talking about not writing in genre, but it, I think this is an example of a genre as well as the uh, the everything love one, which is Kiss the Third Rail, which is a psychedelic genre as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> That's it, that you're bringing out your inner dukes for a little spin. <laughs> 
Well, yeah, kissing the third rail was really, oh, come on, wake up, what's wrong with you, you know? Um, this song was, I have to confess, was not written for anyone or any one artist or any one group or anyone whoever in particular. It was just a case of, oh, I'm, an idea's coming in, and if I don't get it down, it, it's going to, you know, it, it'll be like a, a train going by. Oh, there it went. Uh, which seems to be happening to me more and more. So I've got to be much more um, vigilant about getting songs down. But this was a case of something came through and uh, I thought, no, I've, I've got to capture this. And, um, and then if somebody says, oh, I want a vaguely psychedelic jazz jungle pop song, I can offer it up for them. So that's what it is, a vaguely psychedelic jazz jungle pop song. Um, and it just got it just got done and put in the box and left to wait in case somebody asks, please, sir, I've got one already. Um, no one uh, had asked for it, so I thought, damn it, I'm, I'm going to let it out there, you know. But it's a bit unusual. But I, I, th I think the essence of the lyric is um, the lyric and the music, because the music is rather disjointed and... Uh, uh, the chord changes are, are sort of discombobulating as if to say, come on, do you not realize you, the things you think are important are not important? It's not about bribery and corruption. It's not about buying the latest thing. I, oh, I've got to have a carved control knife so the beef comes on Sunday, comes out just perfectly. No, life's not about that. You know, the, and the thing of the suggestion to kiss the third rail is, Wake up for Christ's sakes, you know, go and put your lips on the dangerous bit and, and, and kiss it. And you might actually wake up and start realizing things. You might, you might start feeling things. I feel I should give a safety warning. If you're listening to this at home, please do not put your tongue on the third rail. <laughs> if you are in an underground station listening to this on your pods, do not leap onto the track and attempt to kiss the third row. If, if you've been troubled by any of the issues that have been raised in this podcast, please. Go. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be a helpline at the end of the episode. <laughs> I, I, I think I'm just getting more and more disgusted with politicians and, uh, and the corruption of politics and the sleepiness of people who allow it to carry on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm turning into a, into a senile delinquent. There's no getting away from Dear. it. What, what you were just saying about uh, uh, whatever it's called, Kiss the Third Rail, uh, made me think, and it's like on a music, we talked about it on a, on a lyrical le level, selling a song, but also on a musical level, for example, if you if if you tried to give them um, Rhodes Girdle the Globe, they would not just physically not be able to play it. So, is there a point at which you have to say, "Well, let's just do some let's straighten up the chords here"? Well, actually, the chords in um, in uh, "Love Is the Future" is the title. Oh, right. Uh, the chords in "Love Is the Future" are quite straightforward, apart from one, which I just stretched one finger up out of a minor seven to make whatever that chord is. Um, but they're all quite conventional chords. And, and if somebody has said, yeah, we really want to, my band or blah, blah, really wants to cover this, I, I could easily tell them, oh, it's a C and then it's a, a, a whatever it is, you know, an E flat or, you know, it's, there's nothing kind of, it's just their juxtaposition is a bit unusual. 
And we could round off this fantastic conversation with talking about those songs that have been covered by other people. And I just went through and and actually just on the Chalk Hills website, which everybody should check out. There's a fantastic, pretty much complete, I think, uh, list of all the people that you've have collaborated with successfully over the years. It includes Kathy Dennis, Mike Keneally, Terry Hall, The Verve Pipe, Voice of the Beehive, The Head, Charlotte Hatherley, Pugwash, Miles Kane, The Monkeys we've talked about, Stephen Wilson, The Nines, Mitch Friedman, R. Stevie Moore. Uh, uh, Uncle Peter. Tom Cobbley and, <laughs> and so on and so on and so on. There's other people I've, I've, I've missed. Uh, I don't know if there's one thing to be said about all of these things, but actually it's, it's a fantastic body of work that maybe it gets overlooked in your career because because people concentrate on the XTC albums necessarily and on maybe Fuzzy Warbles but actually there's a there's a, a great double album just of those bands I've just mentioned yeah, yeah. thank you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do, 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 is there a kind of that all each collaboration there is different I suppose isn't it sometimes uh, absolutely differently some are 50 50 some are 60 40 some are 70. 30, some are 80, 20, some are 90, 10. Some are the artists who covers it is not involved in the slightest. Um, so it, it's, it's all varying degrees of, uh, of involvement by, by both sides, really. And do you, do you have a preferred way? You know, I'm thinking like, you know, the Mike Keneally thing uh, seems like the, a very close collaboration because there's so much of it. Yeah, well, Mike is so ferociously musical that, that just being in the room with him and, you know, the, the song uh, uh, Your House, um, yeah. that just started But I said, Mike, give me a chord. And he played this, and I can't play like that, you know. I'm just, just cardboard hands on the piano like this, you know. He played this beautiful chord, and I just, I it was so beautiful, I started singing a melody. And the lyrics just it just fell out. I had nothing prepared, and it was like, "Whoa!" I walked slowly at first. Oh shit, Mike, give me another chord, quick, you know. And no, not that one, another one. Uh, it was a bit Lionel Barks. I think that's how he used to work, you know. Uh, oh, so he'd be another chord. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Uh, da, da, and that fell out pretty damn quickly, just on the the sweetness of the chords he was supplying me with. And that sounds like a proper collaboration that was genuine contribution from both oh, of you. Oh, uh, and, yeah. and there and then organic. Yeah, yeah. It didn't, didn't take that long. And, and neither of you could have done it without the other. Exactly. It wouldn't have come into existence. Mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm, a, mm -hmm. You know, it's not a test tube baby. It's a, it's a real baby. <laughs> and if you have got, uh, if you're in, the, in your shed or wherever with another musician, uh, do you have a way of, of making the atmosphere correct so that you can collaborate because i'm i'm thinking about what we were saying before about that thing of of if you're the artist you can you you, you can wait for the muse to strike but if you're a jobbing songwriter it's got to happen then i've done an awful lot of sessions with people where nothing successful happens mm -hmm. um and you waste a day or longer um where you're writing with somebody and nothing you're bringing up is pleasing them nothing you've brought out of the cupboard is pleasing them here's one i prepared earlier that's not pleasing them or they've got a relative with them and this relative is the songwriter usually which is suicidal mm. they bring their other songwriter with them sounds like it sounds like a bad marriage guidance marriage guidance uh, session <laughs> wow that's happened a few times uh and then sometimes you get 
people who you are expected to co-write with that are so musically primitive that it's just not going to happen. You know, they'll bring a guitar, for example, and you'll sit with this artist and you'll say, okay, well, let's uh, let's pull something out. How about something kind of, you know, listening to your previous demos, how about something, we try something a little breezy. So we'll, a major key, let's go start something really easy. Give me a C. And they're looking at the guitar and it's, uh, can you remind me what C looks like? <laughs> oh God, this is lesson one. I don't want to have to do guitar lesson one with somebody if we're supposed to have some finished songs in five, six hours time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So a lot of that kind of stuff happened. And because you're not in a band with them, you can't do that thing that I'm, I, you know, some, a lot of pop songs are based on, on very simple ideas. It'll just be a very three note, very simple three note bass line or something. And, and the rest of the band can build it up around that. If you're in that situation that you're describing, that's not really an option, is it? No, you've, you've got to work. It's stage one. We're building this up from the ground, which is why I like to get stuff prepared Either, either prepared before the group or the artist arrive, or it's something that somebody else rejected, but I, I sense it'll be just right for them. Um, or I, you know, they're due to arrive at two o'clock in the afternoon, so I'll get up early and I'll, I'll try and put something together before they get there, and pretend it fell out while they were. There. <laughs> it was all you. Um, there's an awful lot of cheating goes on. I tell you. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But you know, any way that it gets it done, any way that it gets it done, it's nothing's nothing's out of the out of the game. You, mm-hmm. can, you can do anything. And to is, get it, is the one method that works for you better than others? Do you like? Do you prefer one thing, uh, one way of working to another? Sure, I would like to discover it. Generally, discover it myself, make a demo of myself, and present it. And if they don't like it. Okay, but um, it's frequently quicker and purer that way. Yeah, 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 yeah. Then I end up with a failed songwriting. <laughs> um, and talk it. One last question about uh, collaborating. I don't know anything about this apart from it just popped up on Facebook yesterday. That I can't even work out what it is that you've done on this track. But it, uh, the band Darling Boy, the song called "Breaking Into Forever," you're credited with editing work. What what went on there? Oh, um, it it's somebody I know. Uh, it's a friend of Holly's originally, um, and uh, he wanted some advice about songwriting and editing songs. You know, and he was making a few classic mistakes. It was too long. Why are you waiting that long to get to the title line? Can you put that in earlier? That melody isn't strong enough. I want to hear a stronger melody at that point. You know, it was it, it, it was just, you know, instead of four and a half minutes, why can't this be two minutes 30? Because you've said it all by two minutes. You know, it was like just some real good, I hope good um, songwriting advice. So it was a case of uh, of him us zooming or phoning and uh, and just going through ideas yeah and that's you you're you're now are sounding like a tin pan alley songwriter because it, you know yeah. that you know that stuff so intimately uh, in your ear alley <laughs> still resonating <laughs> Well, thank you very much, Andy Partridge. That has been fantastic to talk to you. Now that we know your lessons, your introduction into the art of failure has has been an inspiration to us all. 
But do fail on your own terms. Yes, you, which is don't fail on other people's terms. I'm going to I'm going to very much take that to, to heart. Uh, so thank you. We'll have you again talking about lots of other things in the future. But... I don't remember that bit, but yeah. <laughs> <that's>... <laughs> All right. Cheers. Thank Bye. you very much. Bye. 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 What? Do you call that noise? Hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Thanks very much, of course, to Andy Partridge and also to Rachel Treffery for her drinks recommendation. And many, many, many thanks to the podcast supporters on Patreon who make it all possible, including the following Nights in Shining Karma. Terry Arnott, Matt Bell, Kevin Burt, Liam Duggan, Jamie Dunn, Helen Fay, Peter Fermoy, Leslie Gooch, Robert Graham, Marek Krauss, Jesper Kumberg, Robert Lawlor, Dennis LeCourier, Liz Lynch, Ian Morris, Yusuf Mora. Amy Parkinson, Murray Meikle, Kevin Murray, Karen Neal, Mark Reed, James Reimer, Simon Slato, Michael Sutcliffe, Mark Thomas, Nigel Waller, and William Wiltstrom. If you'd like to support the XDC podcast, you can do so by going to patreon.com forward slash Mark Fisher, and it'll be very much appreciated if you can support us. Thank you very much for listening. Back next month with another ridiculous tie knot. What? Do you call that noise? Head to xdclimelight.com where you can buy my two XTC books. First, there's the XTC Bumper Book of Fun for Boys and Girls, which is an anthology of Limelight, the XTC fanzine I made from 1982 to 1992. We had a couple of lifelines to the world, and, and Limelight was one of them. So the book is the XTC Bumper Book of Fun for Boys and Girls. It's stunning. Thank you, Ian Lee. And then there's What Do You Call That Noise, an XTC discovery book, where you'll find more from the band, plus commentary from musicians, including Anton Barbo. For me, it's just simply a life-changing song. And McHugh. It's like a painting by Van Gogh. Jason Faulkner. XTC probably made the most impact on me of, of any band that I can think of. Chris Butler. If there's anything more classic XTC, e -E -E -E, this is it. And Rick Buckler. It was well produced as well. It had the support of a great producer. I mean, it really sounded strong. Order your copies of both books at xtclimelight.com. It's a paper and ink net, the internet with, with added staples.